The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Voyager episode, The 37s. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. Retweet us on X, where we are at SQPN, and leave us comments wherever you find us online. And you can also follow us and watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash StarQuestMedia, where you can also leave a comment. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy called Let's Science. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science. So we are talking about the 37s, the second season premiere of Voyager. And Jimmy, can you give us your recap of it? Voyager finds a pickup truck floating in space in the Delta Quadrant, which leads them to a planet where they find a bunch of people from 1937 in cryonic suspension, one of whom is Amelia Earhart. The 37s were abducted by aliens and brought here. Soon the Voyager crew is attacked by seeming aliens, but the seeming aliens turn out to be human beings who are descendants of other people that were abducted in 1937, and they don't realize that the ones in cryonic suspension weren't dead. It turns out that the animated 37 descendants have built a new civilization on the planet, and the formerly asleep 37s decide to stay and build a new life with them, so they conveniently won't be with us for the rest of the seasons of the show's run. However, Janeway feels the need to let Voyager's crew decide for themselves if they want to stay, but in, in an implausible feel-good ending, none of them do want to stay. So, Voyager leaves. The end. <laughs> it's something it up really quickly and appropriately. Father Corey, your uh, overall impression of this one. You know, I, I kind of enjoy it. The, the, it was, um, I, of course, I like the truck, first of all. I mean, I love old vehicles, and <laughs> the old truck was awesome. Um, it, it was, I mean, it was an okay episode. It wasn't an outstanding great episode. It was, you know... Uh, Janeway got to to fangirl out a little bit over Amelia Earhart, and you know get to um, find out about other culture, you know, humans that had been transplanted and things like that. But otherwise, it was it was an okay episode. It was enjoyable, but it wasn't anything I'd call you know the greatest episode I'd ever seen. Jimmy, how about you? Eh, it's there. <laughs> um, it's not the greatest episode. It's not horrible, but it's just pretty bland to me. It's a middle of the spectrum, you know, in terms of quality. It's not great. Um, it 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 aspires to greater greatness than it delivers. Amelia Earhart is is base is in this episode, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. You know, she the the only thing I mean, she could be anybody else from world history, and it wouldn't change anything. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's nothing unique about her. All that happens is we get an explanation for why she vanished, namely aliens abducted her. And that's it. And they try to have a character arc for her a little bit with with her uh, co-pilot, uh, Fred Noonan, who comes across as a real jerk. 
in mm. this. Um, I mean, he's alcoholic, he's violent, he's um, he's not a very nice guy, and he gets injured at one point, and he and Amelia both think he's going to die, and the doctor magically cures him, and that's all fine, but as he thinks he's dying, he's confessing his love to Amelia and says, and, and she's surprised by this. It's like, you never said anything. He said, well, you're married. Actually, I don't know that would that that would have stopped the historical Amelia Earhart. Um, <laughs> mm. I, I in reading a we I, we covered her in a former episode of Mysterious World. It was episode sixty six, and in I didn't talk about it in the episode, but in studying her life, I would have significant questions about the validity of her marriage. Mm. So anyway, uh, I, I didn't go back and relook up information about Fred Noonan, but. You know, she's put up on this pedestal, and Fred Noonan is really run down in this. And I at least had questions about, is is this just to mm. the historical figures? I don't mind them. I don't mind Janeway having a fangirl reaction to Amelia Earhart. That's fine. But I, I had questions about, you know, sometimes when you have historical figures and you want to build somebody up, you can't, one of the ways that bad writing does that is by running other people down. Mm-hmm. This was one of my big criticisms of the movie Apollo 13, where they want to make the Tom Hanks character look like such a hero. And the way they do that is by making the other two astronauts in the capsule look ridiculously bad in ways that are not mm-hmm. fair to, the, to those actual real-life astronauts. And so I had questions about, is this actually fair to Fred Noonan? Mm-hmm. Also, there now this was meant to be the episode that would finish season one of Voyager. And that's why they have this, we finally meet some people who've got a viable civilization of humans going, maybe we want to stay instead of this ridiculous trek across the galaxy that's going to take 70 years as far as we know, to get back to a home that mm-hmm. is going to be unrecognizable when we get there, because all of our family members are going to be 70 years older. And so it's a reasonable thing to have as a challenge, you know, and it would mm-hmm. be a reasonable first, first season ender, but it doesn't work nearly as well as a season opener, which is what right. they did. This is, it ended up mm-hmm. being the season opener for season two, and, and it's, it's just so rushed in parts. Where they after the after the the thirty seven descendants reveal themselves, it turns out they've got a high tech civilization. It's it's different tech than the Federation. You know they don't know mm-hmm. about cryo, cryogenic suspension or cryonic suspension. I shouldn't say cryogenic because that's something different. Mm-hmm. Which is weird that you'd have a high tech civilization that doesn't know about that. But they then say, oh, yeah, we've got these three cities. There's 100,000 people. We'll show them to you. But only you, the characters, not the audience. Mm -hmm. And so they visit the cities off the screen and they come back and they're going, wow, those are such impressive cities. And, oh, it makes you want to stay. And it's like, no, it doesn't because we didn't see them. Right. In order to pay this off, you need to show us the value of this civilization and you didn't do it. And so it doesn't land the way for the audience that it should, if you really want to make staying a credible temptation. Mm-hmm. Um, heck, on Battlestar Galactica, New Caprica was a bigger let's just stay temptation than this was. 
<laughs> and and they took a lazy way out of of the ending because all of the, all of the revived 37s want to stay and that's semi defensible because they don't it's they're even more out of time than the voyager crew would be after 70 years but some, you'd think some of them would want to go back to earth and even if it's not for the greatest motives, like they could have the Japanese character. Who, the, there's one of the revived 37s is a Japanese military guy. So he was plucked out of the Japanese militaristic buildup to World War Two. He might want to go home to the glorious empire of Japan, you know, and have a bit of awakening of, oh, it's part of a world government now. You know, that would have been interesting to explore. Also, it's completely unbelievable that none of the 153 people on Voyager at this point want to stay. That's They even name people that they think would like to stay, and none of them do. And, and that's just ridiculous, it, just for a feel-good ending, but it's completely unbelievable. The good writing choice, the complex one, would be some of the 37s, either revived or not, want to make the trip back to Earth, and they join the crew for the rest of the seven six seasons that are in our future and some of the voyager crew and maquis wanted to stay so um going off of what you said about this they want to make it a season finale they also had proposed that it was going to be a two-parter that was one of the ideas that they had and there was debate over whether you want to split do a cliffhanger for your first season and all this sort of stuff but the fact is is this should have been a two-parter like because as as you pointed out uh, both of you i think um it just it lacked emotional punch because we didn't mm-hmm. get the things we needed to well, see in order for it to have to matter at all you know there was there wasn't enough of the 37s and there wasn't enough of the this civilization this civilization yeah. to make us care about either group as, as you well, said and literally all we you know all we saw the planet was some Canyons that suspiciously look like canyons in the Los, Los Angeles area, the same canyons <laughs> we see in every other episode that has canyons, um, and that's it. And then we saw the, the underground cave where the where the thirty uh, sevens were were being held. Other right. than that, it was we saw Voyager landing on on this planet, and but might have been the best part. They talk of the about episode. this. You know, they talk about oh yes, we we were yeah we were sitting yeah I agree with that, but yeah uh, we were sitting. <laughs> They're saying, oh, you know, this, this civilization is developed in parallel with civilization on Earth. And I felt so much like I was on Earth as we were walking through the city. Does that mean the, the architecture was similar? You know, they developed similar architecture. We know, you know, oh, they developed this peaceful coexistence just like we yeah. did on Earth, which is kind of a slam to the Vulcans, frankly, because that meant humans would have done it anyways without the Vulcans' help. Well, you know, things like that. As we've already seen. That's that's a big lie that the Federation tells itself too. Yeah, it's not, exactly. There's not lack of war and poverty in the future. <laughs> and, and and let's be honest, there's there's three cities with a hundred thousand people in it. These are not big cities. They're decent yeah. sized cities. In Montana, let me rephrase that. In Montana standards, these are metropolises. But yeah. by the rest of the world, these are not big cities. By any stretch of imagination. My hometown here in Fayetteville, Arkansas, is all three of their cities put together. Yeah, <laughs> right. And Fayetteville is not the largest city yeah, around, right? B- Billings is the largest city in Montana. And it would be the three other cities put together. So I mean, right? Like, like I said, this would be the this would be the regional city that people would go to in Montana, go to their shopping and stuff like that. But beyond that, mm-hmm. and and so uh, the, I felt like 
uh, as much as I like the ship landing, it wasted time that could have been devoted to these other elements that we needed more of. Right. But also, right. So we have the 37s and all of that. That should have been them struggling with this. And frankly, TNG already did this. We had an mm-hmm. episode where TNG mm-hmm. found people from the 20th century who had been frozen and revived in the 24th century or 23rd century, whatever it is at this point. And it's yeah. like, we've done this before. And that was actually, frankly, better because mm-hmm. we had them struggling and grappling with the future that they found themselves in. Right. And, and this they, is- had, they had real personalities and character arcs, whereas the 37s don't. The only... The only two that have any kind of development are Noonan and Earhart, and that's next to nothing. Yeah. Right. And then there's a there's a farmer that has a few lines, but he has no character arc. Yeah. It's just it's not focused on the characters, which is what it should be focused on. Well, and, it, and it's, it's not it's not realistic either because you had you know okay Earhart and Noonan, and then you had the Japanese soldier who you would think would be knowing the time that he came from, very suspicious of everybody who wasn't Japanese. Mm-hmm. Right, and right. then you had the the Indian figure, India Indian figure, who I don't think said a word this entire episode. Literally yeah. just stood in the back and that was it. There and, were a bunch of the revived 37s that didn't even have any lines. We didn't learn yeah, right. anything about them. Yeah, such a shame. That was such a lot. One interesting thing was the um, the fact that the descendants they didn't make a big deal of this, but they apparently have place name last names. Mm-hmm. So the the lead one was John Evansville, and another one her name was her last name was Berlin. So for some reason they have city names Name, as yes. last names. Um, um, well, yeah. one thing too is okay the 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 TNG episode you know came from people from the eighties. You know, it was supposed to be people from our current time. Who then in the future, you know, were cryo frozen and then sent into space. So the idea of space travel is known by them. Maybe not widely, you know, not not to the level of TNG, but it's still known. But you've got the 37s, and they they call it out in one line, oh, there's no such thing as space travel, or people aren't traveling in space. And that was it. And then also they're just all comfortable with this idea. We're actually in a planet, you know, hundred thousand light years away from home or whatever it is, you know, seventy thousand light years from home, and we're all fine with it now. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. You know what would have been a really creative choice, talking about the lack of realism in this? Um, You mentioned how the Japanese guy would have reacted to all these non-Japanese people, and that's Mm -hmm. certainly a question. You know, what would his reaction be? Not all Japanese people in this period were militaristic, but a lot of them were. And so, um, so that's an interesting question. But another interesting one is the farmer, Mm -hmm. because the farmer happens to be African-American and he's from 1937. Yeah. So um, he's doing well for himself. He's He owns well, a truck. A brand know? new truck. Yeah, yeah, a brand new truck. 1936 uh, he, Ford. He had to buy it off a lot. He didn't get it as a hand-me-down or used or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he, he owned a farm. And so he was he, he's not living hand-to-mouth. He's not a sharecropper. But he is going to be the victim of a lot of prejudice. And if we weren't putting all of our 1937 people up on pedestals the whole time, some of them might have displayed some prejudice towards him. And he would have been very interested in the non-prejudiced future that Mm -hmm. the Voyager crew comes from. And I could have a really interesting springboard for future character development if he said, you know what? I'm not such a big fan of my fellow 1937s. I want to come with Voyager. Mm -hmm. And then we have him for the next six seasons on Voyager, adapting to futuristic society 
as someone who only has a 1937 yeah. background, that would have been incredibly fascinating. Mm. They could have had him working with Neelix in the, the hydroponics bay, learning, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. hydroponic farming instead of, you know, land farming. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, could, that could have been very interesting. It could have been interesting. It also could have been a source of mixed emotion for him because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I'm still a farmer and maybe I'm helping Neelix in the kitchen. So it's centuries later and I'm still the help. Mm. Right. And, and so it, it could be, it could be a mixed adjustment for him. And it could have been fascinating to, to watch his integration into, ultimately successful, I would say, right. integration into 24th century society. I, I will, you know, I will say though that, you know, assuming the, this, the, the, the people on this planet are, you know, they're, they're as enlightened as the Federation. I could see why he would want to stay there then and, and farm, you know. Again, we don't see much of the land, so for all we know, right outside some of these cities is absolutely beautiful farmland that hasn't been developed yet because they don't have the people to develop it. So that, I mean, right. that that does kind of make sense a little bit, but yeah, I, I, that doesn't mean that he's going to want anything to do with his fellow 37s either. Yeah. Also, they established this as a class L planet, which means it's marginal, marginally habitable, so I wouldn't think there would be great farming on it. <laughs> um, I think there's some, but... <laughs> yeah. They they do an interesting thing with the class L. They say it's got an an argon not oxygen atmosphere, and um, what we have here on Earth is a nitrogen oxygen atmosphere. And uh, nitrogen is basically, I mean, for breathing purposes, it's basically inert. It's not one of the Nobel gases. Nitrogen is element six, or no, carbon. Anyway, it's nitrogen, you know, it basically it, it doesn't interact with our lungs, really, mm-hmm. where it's the oxygen we're interested in. Um, and argon is element 18. Now, argon is one of the Nobel gases. And the reason the Nobel gases are called that is because they're like noblemen. They're snooty. They don't want to mix with other elements. And so <laughs> as a result, they, they'll just go through you. The, the Nobel gases barely interact with anything and only under weird conditions. Right. And so you could be breathing an argon oxygen atmosphere and just metabolizing the oxygen and the nitrogen the argon just goes in and out. But argon is element 18. So it's heavier than mm. nitrogen by a lot and that would make it harder to breathe because you would it would be heavier air in essence. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that kind of have has always kind of been a, given this episode a negative aspect to me from the from the start of the episode was all this stuff having to do with the truck the truck is a problem um a yes i was gonna <laughs> oh, mention yeah, that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Finding why is it in space of, right finding traces of rust in space should not be a, a big deal especially in the small amounts we're talking about oxidization can happen in space because there is oxygen not free, not floating like an atmosphere, but there is oxygen in comets and other things like that. You, mm-hmm. you can have not, rust oxidation. Not to mention what was in the truck when the truck was pushed out into space in the first place. Right. Well, they would they didn't know about the truck being rusty. Yeah. Like the truck was probably presumably rusty well, already, but that's the, where it comes from. The idea uh, of it being a trail too, though, of rust. Right. How sensitive are the Voyager sensors? Like they had to travel a good distance to follow. What had to be trace amounts of rust in the it, it but they could detect that, but not the and, AM and transmission. Yeah. yeah. So there's that. Then the but worst just, part. Why is it in space? 
right he got dumped there by the aliens but the worst part is they bring it into the the cargo bay and don't do a single thing to it but there's fluids in the in the engine and the manure is not like frozen like and destroyed and like it would be a giant steel hulk yeah it would be completely frozen just the water in the radiator would have frozen. I mean, even even the yeah. best antifreeze is going to freeze in deep space, and it yeah. will expand, and it will take out the radiator and the hoses and everything. Yeah. Right. The temperature in interstellar galactic space is, so within a galaxy, but the temperature in interstellar galactic space is just a few degrees above absolute zero. When Paris, Tom Paris starts the truck... It's like, I have it in my notes. No, there's no way. You, and if this truck had been frozen in space, there is no way you would get it to start afterwards by turning a key. Right. Yeah. You'd have to I replace mean, all kinds of hoses, and the radiator would be shot from the water freezing and expanding and everything. Exactly. Let, let's, let's just use the, the absolute best case scenario that there was no water in the radiator at the time because it was all in the reserve tank, and the oil was fine, and, and the gasoline was fine and all that. The battery's not going to survive. Mm-hmm. The battery <laughs> right. absolutely will not survive. Not 1937 technology batteries. They were all lead he, acid. It, it even it, says this, this like charging the battery. Like, no, there, there wouldn't have been. Well, I mean, and don't then, get me wrong. It's, it's cool that they were able to revive the truck, but yeah, right. that it, Tom, Tom should have, manure. Tom should even, have had to work on it first. Yeah. Right. Even the manure, I could say, okay, it, it quick froze and it was and it defrosted and it still smelled. Okay, fine. Sure. Whatever. Uh, only Paris knows what gasoline is, but they can all identify a, an old earth truck, 20th century earth truck from by sight alone. That doesn't yep. make any sense. Um, that he can identify a 1936 Ford by sight. That's I don't very care. improbable. I don't care how much of a fan of old vehicles you are from the 24th century. That's not happening. I, and um, I could see him saying something. Oh, this was early 20, 20th century. They even said yeah. mi- middle sure. of 20th century. It's like, no, he, 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 he probably could have said, well, this is early, maybe mid. 20th century and it, vehicle. Yeah, it's probably stamped Ford on the tailgate. Like, I, okay, it I'll give you was. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, then AM radio. There were car radios in the mid 1930s. That was mm-hmm. that's a thing that they had, but they were very expensive, and it would be extremely odd for a farmer's truck to have one. Never mind, as you pointed out, Jimmy, an African American farmer who's you know probably yeah. not going to be as wealthy as a as a big time farmer who could afford such a thing. So that, that was super implausible. He would have had the bare bones bones pickup truck. Right. And that the bare bones pickup truck is picking up an AM radio SOS signal from far enough away that they have to travel at warp six for a period of time to get to it. It's been transmitting a long time and must have a really big antenna on that truck. (laughs) Right. Inside of a massive Faraday cage known as the USS Voyager. Right. (laughs) <laughs> it just uh it, it just all of those things together like i remember the, like the first time watching this 25 years ago or whatever it was sitting there uh bob rice and i because bob rice bob rice the uh the uh, mm-hmm. the professor at Steubenville, uh we were classmates and we watched voyager together looking at each other incre- incredulous at one thing after another like this is I'm willing to give Star Trek the benefit of the doubt, but this is just too far. The only the only <laughs> part of this that I will I will give them the benefit of the doubt of is that they didn't pick up the AM signal, AM band signal because it was so out of date that they just mm-hmm. don't. Their computers are just yeah. programmed ignore these signals. These signals do not sure. exist. You know, right? Yeah. Another thing that so one of the things I've 
pointed out in previous episodes is a lot of Star Trek episodes depend on technological failures to make the plot keep working. There's mm-hmm. always transporters are going out, communications are going out, phasers are going out. And well, we have that in this episode too, because we're told that this planet has trinimbic interference in its atmosphere. Well, trinimbic based on its roots would be something involving three clouds. <laughs> um, so I don't know what that is, but it takes out the transporters. So they have to, that's why they have to land the ship and they just want an excuse to land the ship, mm-hmm. but it's kind of weak. What's I think inexcusably weak is when they're down on the surface and they're being attacked by the apparent aliens who are not aliens. And Chakotay calls Voyager and Balana's in charge. And he says, can you, can you lay down suppressive weapons fire for us? And she's like, no, the targeting computer is offline because of trinimbic interference or something. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, um, you have line of sight, don't you? Can, <laughs> you? can you point the gun at the aliens and stun them? I mean, we Look don't. Go to window. Need- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, if, if this were Strange New Worlds or Discovery, even, they would have. Um, Aerial vehicles, uh, like you know, drone vehicles. In fact, mm-hmm. we've seen drone vehicles mm-hmm. uh, in Star Trek before. H- have a ground vehicle. We've seen that mm-hmm. in Star Trek Nemesis, wasn't it? Like, yep. like why is th- like they've got shuttles galore in the shuttle bay? Apparently, mm-hmm. <laughs> how, about, how about like a little ground vehicle once in a while? I just, or even just fly a shuttle over and lay down suppressive fire, yeah. R- right? Because it just the, the I mean the idea that they get out of the ship and start walking everywhere, like I just. It just doesn't make any sense to me from logically. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I always got to make it, it so that it's, it's, there's some distance involved. The ship can't come immediately to the rescue. Cause yeah, it, I, I agree. I mean, at minimum, you use the shuttle, which is designed for flying in atmosphere. And you take them to, okay, now that we've found this place, I, I, I could see the argument of we don't want to land on top of, you know, whatever this thing is, we want to be able to approach it. Recon and check it, it first. Recon. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, this is something we actually want to come back to. Let's send a shuttle and get them and go back to the ship. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah, it's just it's it's the, the plausibility issues and just the whole I, I still don't understand why. Apart from let's do a cool thing and land the ship. I, there was I couldn't understand why they would waste time landing the ship in this in this it's the first time a starship in all of star trek ever landed on the surface of a planet and so they i guess they wanted to do it enterprise d um well (laughs) yes but there it's the first and maybe the other than the voyager series which i think they land more than once but Mm -hmm. prodigy yeah yeah but they 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 tend not to land because they've got two other systems to get down to a planet either the transporter or failing that shuttlecraft right and so you've got to have a double equipment failure in order to justify landing a ship and they use the trinimbic interference it's like they can't beam through it and it's going to be too risky for a shuttlecraft because it's too small and so we need a bigger ship to weather the storm to get down yeah. to the perfectly cloudless skies of Southern California. <laughs> well, it was it was cloudy when they landed. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen that that exact canyon in an episode of DS9, at least. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was also might have been the same canyon where they filmed uh, Darmok and Jalad. 
Uh, I, probably. Believe it's, it's, I believe it's in Griffith Park. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Earhart's airplane is an L-10 Electra. It is the same okay. model of airplane that Amelia Earhart actually did, disappeared in you know, while she was flying. So they, they did use an L-10 Electra. And it's the, uh, so same, that, that it's was, the same tail number. You see it on yep. the wing, but it is the same tail number. Nice attention to detail there. Uh, they, so a Voyager specific criticism. There are five uses of the phrase some kind of mm-hmm. in this episode, four of them within te- a 10 minute window mm-hmm. <laughs> as they were finding the 37s in the airplane. <laughs> like, come on. It is such a bad know, writing crutch. It is. And one of them is just leaps out because the Japanese guy, when he's in the tube, you know, the, the, the cryogenic tube or cryonic tube, he's, he's got a, a holster with a gun in it. And Tom yep. Hat says he has some kind of weapon. It's like, how, you know what a gun is, dude? Yeah. <laughs> you just recognized a holster. You know, as, how about just say he's got a gun or a firearm even a, he's or, yeah. got a weapon or, you know, what is this right. some kind of doing here? In fact, every single instance of the phrase, some kind of, I look at it and go, if you removed those three words, yeah. it still works. I don't understand this crutch that the writing staff has. There's some with kind this of trilimic, trilimic ra- radiation. Or it could just right. say there's some kind of trinomic radiation. Or there's some, you know, just leave there's out There's trinomic radiation. Of, yeah. <laughs> it, what the some kind of is meant to do is convey uncertainty about encountering a new situation that you don't understand everything about. So you can tell it's in this general category, whatever it is, but you're not sure which specifically it is. However, yeah. that doesn't work when you're dealing with humans and human history. It's just, it's a weapon at minimum, yeah. or it's a gun more specifically. Right. You, so, you don't need to tell the captain what the model of the gun is. Just he's got a gun. He's got a gun. Or Chicote. There's a there's a high concentration of training particles. Looks like a power source. <laughs> Just say so, it's a power source. Well, it, the, the, some kind of is so bad. There are actually YouTube videos where they yeah. count. And in the first season, just the first season, they use that phrase forty eight times. And the yeah. first season is short. Yeah. It's a 16 yeah. episode first season. Yeah. yeah. So they, they use it three it's... times on average per episode. And this one's above average. It's five. <laughs> it's just it's kind, of, kind of crazy making. Um, so let's see. The uh, There is a, a line, I think, where uh, Janeway is telling the 37s when they, what year it is. And she says, the year is 2371. And I've been watching Babylon 5 and I just... <laughs> In my oh, head, yeah. supplied, and this is the last of the Babylon stations. <laughs> I was there at the dawn of the third age of mankind. It started in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. <laughs> so this would be 90 years after Babylon 5 then. Yes. That was 2281. That's right. That's right. So, um, which is an interesting, they've included the, the, the 37 in the year, which is kind of interesting. I don't know what, why that, mm-hmm. why that's is interesting to me but it is uh fred noonan wants to speak to j edgar hoover (laughs) yes because you know he was the fbi director at the time the uh the mythical fbi director um they uh we we get some interesting information um we're told that warp 9.9 is about 4 billion miles per second but of course warp numbers are famously whatever the writers want it to be because they have to travel from here to there over massive distances um it, what's interesting to me is of all the 37s who were unfrozen, you know, they were revered and thought of as like almost like 
you know, ancestor gods, you know, that yep. sort of thing. Household at least deities. Hero, heroes, at least. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but of all of them, Amelia Earhart would have been the most used to the status. She'd be, they'd be celebrities, right? Mm-hmm. They would be treated with reverence. And she was an early version of what we would today call mega celebrities. You know, at, at the time, she was treated as such, right, Jimmy? I mean, I thought I remember that yeah, from yeah, our yeah. discussion. Yeah. So I, I thought that would be, that would have also been an interesting aspect of, what, to see. What she wasn't was the kind of Ouroboros celebrity where the snails, the snake's, you know, tail is being shoved down its mouth. So it's meta, famous mm-hmm. for being famous, as opposed right. to famous for something they've actually done. Right. She, so she wasn't she was a Kardashian. A, yeah. <laughs> you literally stole the words from my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I would, again, if they'd shown us the cities and shown them meeting the descendants, these 15 generations, you know, mm-hmm. and people recognizing them and seeing how, she, like, I'd love to, to see a story where they go back and see what hap- has happened you know, decades oh, later. Oh no, we've we've seen that. It's going to turn out that the planet blew up, and this is really SETI Alpha Five. And <laughs> she sticks a thing in in Kim's yeah. ear. <laughs> Amelia uh, Earhart is now a warlord who wants galactic conquest. You know, <laughs> that actually be kind of fun. I'd actually she watch that. A, <laughs> she was a superwoman. Yeah, I would watch that. So, um, the uh, so. We have then we switch in this, the 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 last two acts of it to this the dilemma. We've they've seen as you mentioned, Jimmy. They've seen the cities. We don't get to see them. Um, and should they let people stay? And this was supposed to be a big moment of transition for the show, where mm-hmm. you know in the beginning, uh, there were the, you know the first season. There's all this grumbling and the c- clashing between the the Maquis and the Federation crew and um. And, you know, grumbling about the unfairness of being on the in the Delta Quadrant. And this was supposed to be the moment where uh, they're no longer, you know, unhappy. Well, I mean, I'm sure they're unhappy with their fate, but no longer grumbling about the unfairness of the universe. Mm -hmm. We're now united in our desire to get ourselves home, et cetera, et cetera. But it it doesn't have the punch. It lacks the emotional Mm -hmm. punch. It would like I think, as you said, Jimmy, it would have had more punch if someone decided to stay. Multiple One. people mm-hmm. should have. Yeah. I, I was kind I of expected to see, I would expect it to see, it, you know, at least one Maquis member, you know, like have the one disgruntled Maquis member who just hasn't gotten over. It. It's like, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going back to the Federation. I'm not staying on this ship. See ya. I mean, think about it. 70 years. Mm-hmm. You've got a 70 year journey ahead of you, as opposed to you can stay with these humans who have a technologically advanced civilization and have not been menaced by aliens in hundreds of years. Right. And oh, by the way, because they are humans that are technologically advanced, let's give them some more of our updated technology that they don't have. Right. And have leave a nice the, life. Leave the library. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I I was kind of imagining like a Chakotay and Janeway like turning around and leaving the cargo bay and walking away and then having someone like run in at the last second carrying all their stuff. <laughs> yeah. Did I miss it? Am I late for the deadline? Yeah. <laughs> that'd be a Lower Decks episode. <laughs> no, that's just, that'd be like Boimler running in. <laughs> I want to stay. Oh, that's, that's what they should do on Lower Decks. They should have Janeway go back to check now that they've got the Protostar. They should have Janeway go back to check on how the planet is doing and it's been destroyed and Amelia Earhart is there and she wants revenge on Janeway for leaving her on this planet. And so <laughs> she strands her on the planet and 
Janeway gets to deliver the line, Error! <laughs> we totally need a Lower Decks episode now. Oh my gosh. Someone bring up the Lower Decks writing staff. <laughs> they could they could make it. Uh, oh man. You know, the other thing that I found I would interesting be to- was totally up for a gender swapped Wrath of Khan. Yeah, yes, would I would be up for that too. The other thing that gets ignored is this this assumption that oh, you know, everyone wants to stay. What about the non-human members of the crew? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, uh Balana, like why would Balana even consider staying? She's like she she'd have to live among these these humans. She's but she's half Klingon or well, uh, Tuvok or well, Neelix. Like, I mean, Neelix, yeah. You, you got to give them all the option if you're going to give. You can't just give the human members the option. If you're giving anybody the option, it's got to be everybody. Uh, I get that. Yeah. And whether it, they want to do it or not is up to them based on their circumstances and what they think life would be like for them in this human colony. I just, I felt like there was like all focus on the humans, you know, like, oh, you know, we, we, this is home. Well, if I'm a bully and it's not home. We all know right. that the Federation is really a humans only club. <laughs> yeah. Was that Star Trek Six? Yes, yep. it was. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right. Um any other notes on this one, Father Corey? So uh I got a kick though out of uh Fred Noonan was played by David Graff, who was at least when I was growing up, was best known as Tackleberry on the Police Academy movies. Oh my gosh, you're right. Tackleberry. <laughs> so he played That's the awesome. gun nut from the Police Academy movies. That's right. And as inappropriate as they were, yeah, I, I watched them as a kid. Of course. And laughed because laughed they were funny, but they're very inappropriate once you watch them as adults. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> um, and then, of course, uh, Earhart was played by Sharon Lawrence, who at the time when this was made was a well-known actress. You know, she mm-hmm. was, I'm trying to remember what was, she was in something big. Was it uh, NYPD Blue or something like that? Um, I, think, I can't remember, yeah. Uh, Sharon Lawrence. Yeah, she was. She, I think she even got like guest star thing. Um, she was in Desperate Housewives. Was that what it is? I forget now. Yeah. Um, but she was a she was a big you know star, TV star at the time. So as a guest uh, star, there was kind of a big get for Voyager. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Jimmy, uh, final notes. So um, they avoided doing something which I thought they were going to do, which was have the Briori aliens that we also are told about but never see um, have them stage an attack during the last 10 minutes of the show. And they didn't do that. And I actually kind of like that. But I also think if this had been a two-parter, that's probably what they would have done. They would have used... Because there's there's an obligatory phaser fight in the middle of this episode. And it's kind of like in comic books where, okay, you have these two characters meeting... We need some action this issue. So guess what? Even though they're both on the side of the angels, they fight. And then they team up against a villain. And so we got to have action in a Star Trek episode. So we have a phaser fight with people who it's all just a big misunderstanding. And then if this were a two-parter, we would probably get to see the cities and then the Briori would attack and that would be our cliffhanger. Mm Mm-hmm. But they didn't do that. And as an abstract writing choice, I actually like that they didn't do that. They seem to have genuinely kicked the Briori's butts generations ago, and now the Briori and everybody else are leaving them alone. And that's that's an okay writing choice. It just doesn't help with the shortcomings of this episode. Um, I like that they, uh, they tied up 
the fact that, because uh, this was a rumor about Amelia Earhart that her round-the-world flight involved a secret mission for U.S. intelligence, you know, to mm-hmm. gather information about the Japanese. And they confirmed that in the Star Trek universe. It was, yep. you know, um, they, it goes by super briefly. She just, Earhart just says, nobody's supposed to know that. And they move on. Yep. But it was nice to have that conspiracy confirmed. I also like the scene where they're talking about who Earhart is uh, around the conference table. And um, and I, I like the fact that, um, you know, Chakotay says, since these people are from 1937 Earth, maybe we should only have humans present when we revive them. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, because if... Now, they don't have anyone that... I Personally, I could handle waking up, and I've never seen a Vulcan before, and there's a Vulcan there, or Balana's there, or Neelix even is there. It's not going to freak me out, but I can see people from 1937 who mm-hmm. could freak out, so that's a reasonable accommodation. <laughs> but what I like is Janeway going through the theories of what happened to them and says, and there were even some people who thought it was abdu- they were abducted by aliens and it's like well i guess that one turned out to be <laughs> <Yeah>. true <laughs> because it's like, always aliens remember yeah. <laughs> it's always aliens <laughs> yeah at least they weren't abducted by demons in that in that case all right so that will i think do it for our discussion of the 37s as b- uh, before we go i want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of star trek including eric m earl p the g family david a and kevin b their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of star trek and all the shows at StarQuest. and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give so that's it from us. What did you think of the 37s? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media or send an email to Trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. You can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash StarQuest Media where you can also leave a comment. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Enterprise episode, Detained. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Don. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you. Live long and prosper and nitrogen is element seven. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I think you'll find that's manure, horse manure, if I'm not mistaken. 